Hello and welcome to the Literature Podcast, A Novel Review. My name is Seamus, your host, and together we will discuss, dissect, and explore the wonderful world of literature, and the wonderful world of literature is a vast and dense jungle, so let's start making our way through, one book at a time. Hello, good day, and welcome to the beginning of another episode of A Novel Review, a podcast exploring the wonderful world of literature. My name is Seamus and I am your host, and for today's episode, we are boarding the Orient Express. But before I leap from the platform into this book, I always take a moment to reflect on any mantelpiece moments, something to highlight from the week past, and this week a great one. I saw Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan, I did not do the whole Barbie Barbie, Barbenheimer thing. Uh, That's not to say I won't see Barbie. It's still very much on the card, but just Oppenheimer today, and I had a great time. In short, it is a fantastic film. You know, it's truly a major feat of storytelling when you take the life of a scientist and turn it into a thrilling three-hour biopic. And look, that's not to talk the Oppenheimer story down at all, but I would say as a whole that... This story is less explosive, which is ironic, than Nolan's other films because it's following the story that led to the atomic bomb and the after effects from that moment. But it is still, you know, it's so engrossing. It's still so thrilling. I particularly love how Mr. Nolan has played with this idea, similar to what he explored in Batman, of society needing something from someone they don't like. If you can cast your minds back uh, to the Heath Ledger's Joker, and he says to Batman that they will cast him out like a leper when they are done with him, which they do essentially in Batman, and it's very similar, very you know, very similar idea that they do it in this film as well. So, you know, I love that idea. I like to see it unfold and how it plays out. I love its exploration. Uh, the cinematography was great. The editing is class. The acting was beautiful. So, all in all, a great film. Housekeeping, as always, all the scripts from the episode are available on my website, just in case you know of anyone who has a hearing impairment who might get a kick out of a written version of the pod, so headlong, they are all free for use for all to enjoy. Also, the episodes are on YouTube with closed captions, if that's more your cup of tea. Board. It's time to board the Orient Express into the chilly depths of winter and the darkness of this mystery. And sweet hot damn, one of the better mysteries out there. I am going to be blunt, this episode will not dance mysteriously around the story. There will be spoilers right from the beginning. You can't really talk about a detective book without spoiling it. That would be a mystery in itself, so listen at your own peril. Now, this is one of Agatha Christie's better mysteries, and one you can get to the end and wonder how the hell she just keeps on doing it. And by it, I mean constantly coming up with a story that doesn't feel stressed or pushed, that excites and feels fresh and original. The ending is one you know that you're left thinking, how? How do you keep doing this? That being said, though, this is the second time I read the book, and it's you know it's almost better a second time 
while still knowing the outcome because you get to fully grasp the nuance, the brilliance, the finesse of Agatha at work. It truly is one of the joys of literature to read and know you are reading something high class. Now there is a wonderful structure to Agatha that she adheres to because people are always like, well, how does she come up with plots and stories, etc., etc. Well, there is a structure to them. Now I'm not going to go too in depth into this point because I remember listening to an Agatha Christie specialist talking about how she could read and break down the stories to the point that she could detect and understand them in a way as if she were the detective uh, or Poirot, Miss Marple, any of them, herself. It is something that is achievable, but not something that I actually want. I enjoy the carefree ignorance that I place upon it all. But the point of this was, one of the great things she always employs is a vacuum of a world. Strangers that are always thrust together through circumstance and chance. That is why this story is so good and so popular. There is nothing chance about this. Usually a band of characters that all seem shady in some way, but often are all herrings to the truth of the murder. But what if everyone is in on it, actively working to conceal a narrative from the detective Poirot? The plot is simple, they always are. Poirot boards a train and while on the train someone is murdered. The task seems simple interview the passengers to find out who committed the murder, but Poirot struggles because everything is not as it seems. That is a basic overview of the story. A typical Agatha trope is that the characters are usually upper-class individuals or those involved in upper-class lives, such as the nanny, and normally the upper-class citizens are quite distinct in some way, whether that be personality or job-based. This novel is no different with there being the likes of a doctor, a colonel, a Russian princess, but of course, most shockingly, a murderer amongst what could be considered these fine individuals. Though of course, they aren't really fine individuals. In Richard Marsh's novel The Beetle, it is said that in the book of every man's life, there is a page which he would wish to keep turned down. Whereas Oscar Wilde said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And somehow that is a better overview and insight of the story that I could have ever hoped to produce. That encapsulates both sides of the story so well, the real truth of the situation and what is going on here. This of course refers back to the point I made about how normally the people have pages they want to remain turned down, but often these pages are individualistic in the sense that they are not central to the murder of the story and in fact are just red herrings that Poirot has to understand and navigate to get to the base truth of the situation. But that of course is not the case in this story. Now I'm going to read you a little passage because Agatha's writing style is so wonderfully fluid and easy that and that genuinely helps with these kind of stories because the story has to be complex of course. That is what everyone wants in a mystery thriller. But the unsung hero is the writing style because if it is too dense, you will confuse the reader as they get caught up in the wordiness of it all. And then of course, if it is too simplistic, it will feel a bit simple, maybe even stupid, which can detract from the seriousness or darkness of the mystery itself. So here is a quote to demonstrate this. At that moment, the door opened and the concierge came towards them. He looked concerned and apologetic. It's extraordinary, monsieur he said to Poirot. There is not one first-class sleeping berth to be had on the train. Comment, cried Monsieur Book, at this time of year, ah, without a doubt, there is some party of journalists or politicians. I don't know, sir, said the concierge, turning to him respectfully. 
but that's how it is. Now this quote happens so early in the story, and look, it isn't the first clue she gives, but this is one I always love for its simplicity, because it reveals so much to the story. But it happens so early from memory, page 14 or 15, and that's just a throwaway line, or so we thought, because nothing is a throwaway line in Agatha Christie. And in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, it's the fact that there is not one first-class sleeping berth to be had on the train. To which Monsieur Book replies, at this time of year, being the middle of January, which, again, is just a throwaway line, but it's not. And that is where Poirot, and in fact Agatha Christie, excels in her writing and stories. She has such awareness and attention to detail that she is firing from page one. But not only this, one of the things I love about Poirot and Agatha is the attention to the human psyche. Poirot says, but I know human nature, my friend, and I tell you that, suddenly confronted with the possibility of being tried for murder, the most innocent person will lose his head and do the most absurd things. The novel progresses quite quickly, actually, but it doesn't feel rushed. When we get to the stage of having to question the passengers, a chapter is set for each passenger, and so the chapter is entitled The Interrogation of X. X, of course, being where we insert the name of whoever is being interrogated. What this does is it gives everyone a lovely set amount of screen time, I guess you could call it, or book time, and we get a lovely long interrogation into each individual. The masterful thing about it is you, as the reader, are a fly on the wall to everything that is said, and therefore the case really does unfold under your eyes, and you can piece it together if you have the attention to detail to place the facts. There isn't a prior knowledge needed about some obscure thing that is the unravelling to the truth. Instead, you as the reader are presented with the facts and given the opportunity to participate in the same way that Poirot participates. Now let's talk briefly about the Denouement. The man that has been killed was a man called Ratchet, although it is later revealed his name was Cassetti, and he has abducted and murdered a little girl called Daisy. It turns out everyone we have interviewed throughout the book has committed the crime, each of them stabbing Cassetti in a revenge plot that means they are all guilty without one person taking sole blame for their revenge. This is why I read the quote earlier, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Cassetti has changed his name to Ratchet, hoping as a sinner he could carve out a future as a saint, and those that have all participated in his killing have a future because they were acting and were driven by love for an innocent child. And that is how Poirot decides to leave it. Often ending with the revelation of a crime of passion, this was a crime of love and so Poirot gracefully bows out from the novel. Agatha Christie's books are always short, around 200 page mark, but always manage to elicit a wonderful depth that leave you shaking your head thinking how? How has she done it again? How has she come up with another story that confused me? Excited, wowed, she really is the queen of crime. So what would I rate this novel out of five? one of the better detective novels out there and a thrilling read, I'm going to say a 4.5 out of 5. Now, just finally before I move on, after rereading this, I went and watched the latest iteration of Remake, the Kenneth Branagh film. I remember watching it for the first time and enjoying it, but watching it a second time after having just read the book, my god, a broken record incoming. The film adds in this unnecessary drama to the whole thing and skips so much of the nuance that the novel elicits. The novel is unsurprisingly, miles better than what the film portrays.
So what am I reading this week? This week I am reading, well, I mean, it's not what I'm reading, but more what I'm about to read. I had this idea a few episodes back about judging a book by its cover. Literally buying a book because of its cover, writing down what I think the story will be about without reading a blurb or even opening the book for that matter. Then, of course, read the book and see how right or wrong I was based on my initial judgments. It's a fun idea and one that I am very excited for. And the book I have selected is, drumroll please, that's ridiculous. Uh, It's called Cherry by Joanne Beard. I have no idea if there's been a collective groan of disappointment or nodding heads of approval. I have no idea about this book. Only time will tell. Now, before I close out the show, if you have listened this far, please consider hitting those five stars. I would really appreciate it. Also, feel free to head along to the website and support the pod. And of course, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for your attention. So I think it's time to end this episode. And today, to take us away, I think we should finish with a quote from Oppenheimer himself. And he says... The optimist thinks that this is the best of all possible worlds. The pessimist fears it's true.